0: This week
1: on The Takeout, a little bit of conversation about stand-up comedy with Gary Goleman, also living with and getting on the other side of depression. Five, four,
0: three, two, one, two, ignition.
1: Major Garrett. Yes, CBS. Yes, hi.
0: Ladies and gentlemen. Please welcome Major Garrett. From the nation's capital. Major. Fantastic. It's The Takeout, Major, with CBS News Chief Washington Correspondent, Major, that's nonsense, Major Garrett, and you should know better.
1: Thank you. Welcome Thank you. to the very best part of my broadcast week. I'm Major Garrett, host and creator of this amazing program known as The Takeout, which is adjusting to this new set of COVID-19 realities. I'm working from home, my apartment in downtown Washington, D.C. My dear friend and producer, Arden Fari, is also on the line with Caster, so is Jamie Benson, Jake Gibson, all of the friends and colleagues. We're all working remotely, and we have an amazing guest uh, for this episode. And it's going to be a little bit about comedy, a little bit about the artistic process, a little bit about depression and living with it, coming through it, finding new purpose on the other side of it, and everything else that we can think of talking about. And our guest is one of the great, maybe one of the greatest comedians Right now in America, Gary Goleman. Gary, how are you? It's great to have you with us, and uh, thanks for joining us.
0: Wow, thank you. You're you're really overstating my talent, but I I appreciate it, and and I I hope people will will agree with you. Thank you. They will agree pleasure. with me. Uh, all you need to do,
1: folks, uh,
0: because of the
1: magic of YouTube, you can find all sorts of clips of Gary Goldman's stand up work on all the late night comedy shows. Uh, they're fantastic he's got a HBO special that if you have HBO and get it on demand, the great depression, we're going to get into that whole topic, uh, in depth a little bit later. He really is sensational. And I will tell you this, Gary, um, as a point of reference, I feel somewhat, uh, comedically stunted in this sense that, <laughs> um, my com- comedy world is defined entirely by George Carlin. Um, and I'll tell you a brief story about that. So, uh, and these kind of things will interrelate in your life. Um, my father uh, suffered from a mental illness uh, and he was institutionalized when I was about 16 and a half years old. Oh my word. And, and there was a lot of anxiety through that. And one of the things that I used to, to cope with it uh, was uh, comedy. And my brother turned me on to George Carlin when I was young. And I literally listened to two records. Both of one Emmys for George Carlin, AMFM and Clash Clown. And I listened wow. to them over and over and over and over. And I grew up in San Diego, uh, so I did a lot of yard work and I also watered the lawn a lot. And I can remember as a child, um, in my early teens, standing out on the boulevard uh, where the grass was, uh, watering the lawn at night and doing these bits out loud that I would memorized from George Carlin. And um, I've never really found a comedian who has hit me closer than George Carlin. I know a lot of the inspirations you have are slightly dated a bit later. David Brenner, Gary Shandling. Richard Lewis, Paul Reiser, uh, but for me, uh, it's kind of Carlin, uh, and let's just start
0: there. Is he someone in your pantheon? Oh yes, yes. I would say he would be the the Lincoln spot on the Mount Rushmore of of comedy. He was so influential, and he was he was always on the on the side of right and he he also could be very silly and very literary i mean he just i i feel like he was our mark twain and i i think that that he was sort of the the blueprint of of modern comedy and i i just admired him greatly i got to meet him once i opened for him at the comedy and magic club in hermosa beach and it was one of the great honors of my of my life and and I just admired him and I, I read everything he wrote, everything that was written about him. I've listened to every album, watched every special. I just learned so much from 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 George Carlin and he was just a, a, a beautiful person. I really we, I mean there, there there are very few, if any, comedians who will who will say anything but that George Carlin is is in that Mount Rushmore of, of comedians. As
1: I sit here in my living room, I'm looking off to my right in one of my bookshelves. I have some DVDs and I see right there. George Carlin's face, all my stuff, every single HBO uh, <laughs> special he ever had. Yeah. And I remember and perhaps you can relate to this, uh, Gary. So HBO was kind of a big thing in the early 70s, late 70s. Uh, we were one of the first houses on my block to have it. And I'd always subversively listen to Carlin before my parents got home from work. Both my parents worked. Um, and then when he had this first special, uh It was on TV and I could watch it and I could listen to this brilliant, but also vulgar humor. Yes. And be able to laugh in front of my parents without getting yelled at. Yes. And there was a subversive delight I took from that whole experience. Um, And I'm like, George Carlin brought this to me. Not only did he bring humor, but he brought this sense of liberation and I could finally share this liberation with my parents and not get yelled at for listening to dirty words
0: yeah i mean there there are a number of things going on here that I totally relate to major and one of them is the the place that stand up comedians held in our heart and our our minds to to deal with, in, in your case, your, your father's illness. But in, in my case, my own depression and my own anxiety, I just remember listening to comedians and watching the comedians. My, my mother would always yell when, when Carson had a comedian. And usually it was, it was David Brenner when I was very mm-hmm. young. Carson had a comedian. She would let me wake up and watch him watch Carson late at night. So I, I just fell in love. And, and the, 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 Power that comedians had in my life, and and that jokes had in my life, to to lighten the mood in my in my house, where we were we were suffering from from financial insecurity because of a, a divorce. And my mom was a single mom, and just the 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 relief we got from making each other laugh, and from laughing at these people, and from me repeating the jokes that I heard from Carlin and from Steve Martin and and from Bob Newhart that we we just were were, were so soothed by it by comedy and also it it really one of the greatest moments of my life i think was seeing jay leno in beverly massachusetts with my dad when i was 16 and when when families come to see my show it 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 gives me so much pleasure and joy to know that i'm i'm passing that that on to other families because i i really think we connect so well over over comedy and i'm i'm hoping while people are are sheltered in place that they're connecting with, with comedians. We we've never had better access to comedians visually and, and audio wise. So I I hope people are taking advantage of that during, during this time. And I highly recommend
1: that folks. Uh, This show is for as long as we're going to be living through this COVID-19 new reality, I'm going to make suggestions and I want to make this show as useful to you as possible. That's one of the reasons I want to talk to Gary, because he just touched on something. We have this time now and we're at home and, If you can find out or carve five or 10 minutes just to go on YouTube and find some comedy, do it because it's aid and indulgence, but it's also a therapeutic benefit for you. Uh, Laughter is a tremendous, tremendous elixir across so many different psychological perspectives. And the people who do this work do it for a reason. And uh, those of us on the other side of that work who are laughing get all the benefits from it. Gary you mentioned Bob Newhart and I can tell there's almost like a psychic connection because there was one album that my parents had that I could listen to at any hour of any day and that was The Button Down Mind of Bob Newhart a masterpiece a masterpiece if folks also you can find that on YouTube I highly recommend it if you want some brilliant super clean comedy it's as as good uh, as you'll find and one thing it had struck me reading your bio is it says you were a failed accountant. I don't want to apply that to you, but Bob <laughs> Newhart also left accountancy yes. to go into comedy.
0: Yes, yes. And and when I found that out, I I, w- I was so motivated and inspired by that that we had we had a similar background, and and he was just such a, a an extraordinary voice at that time because there w- there weren't comedians doing that style. He sort of invented a new style and also talking about the things in the way that he did in, in ways it was even more subversive than, than Carlin, because he was, he was sort of taking jabs at, at the consumer mentality and the, the advertisers. And it it, it was, it was actually quite edgy for the time. And then if you follow the arc of his career and people of a certain age,
1: remember, one Bob Newhart show, and people of another eight, certain age remember a different Bob Newhart show. I remember the original, yeah, um, I, and that I was a show about psychology and
0: therapy. Yeah. Yes, yes, which which was which was so nice to see. I remember seeing that show in in reruns when I was a, a kid, and it it really I th- I think it took away some of the mystery of of therapy and and sort of mainstreamed it. I think it w- it was very helpful. I will tell you in
1: in my household when we felt the stresses of what was clearly becoming a deeper and deeper problem for my father. It was very much a a kind uh, of—I don't know if it was conscious or subconscious—but I remember looking forward to that show so much as a child, and I wasn't even sure exactly why, but it was a great refuge uh, for me. Um, And Gary, before we go to break, I want to sort of set things up because I want to spend the next segment talking about your HBO special, but. Give my audience like 30 seconds about how to prepare to hear a deeper conversation about that. Well,
0: I, I would let them know that it's a story of hope. And it's a story basically the story is how I, I had a, a breakdown of depression and anxiety and was hospitalized, but also what I did to recover with the with the help of my my doctor and my family and my wife and and my friends so I, I think it's it's more a story of hope but it also I made sure it was also educational about about the aspects of depression and anxiety and mental illness and hospitalization
1: and it's also a place where anyone who has at whatever level uh, mild more than mild deeply intense anxiety or depression can find a place to hear a conversation that if not welcoming, is reinforcing that this is something that is real. I heard you say it in the special. You're not alone. There's a joke that's attached to that, but the general purpose of it is you're genuinely not by yourself as meaning the only sufferer in the world going through this. Yes. That'll be on the other side of this break. I'm Major Garrett. You're listening to The Takeout. Gary Goldman is our very special guest. Back in a minute.
0: CBS News. This is The Takeout
1: with Major Garrett. Welcome back to the show. I'm Major Garrett. You know, obviously, we're in a different environment in COVID 19 because we don't have a restaurant. You know how much I love to have a conversation built around a meal. Someday we'll get back to that. I guarantee you it won't be too far off. I don't know how long. You don't know how long. We're going to get back to the restaurants and have our conversation. But in the meantime, we're all adjusting, and part of our adjustment is I'm on my laptop, I'm in my living room, Arden Farry isn't his, Jamie Benson is his, Jay Gibson is his, all helping to put the show together, and Gary Goleman, uh, one of America's great comics, is on the show with us to talk about not only that, the artistic process, comedy, its purpose, its vitality in life, but also something he has a deep personal experience with, and I made a reference to it. I have a bit of family experience as well, but Gary, I want to talk t- to you about your experience. Um, you were very well known, a supremely successful stand-up comic. It wasn't as if depression was because your c- career was at a actualized level depressed. It wasn't, uh, and yet this anxiety and depression was, if I ha- understand it correctly, kind of always with you and became more of a stalking presence at, 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 through like the like twenty fifteen through twenty
0: seventeen. Right, exactly. I, I I think I I experienced episodes of of. Depression that would last a, a month or or two throughout my childhood and into my my adulthood and and I would I was able to keep it at bay for a while and then in the spring of two thousand fifteen it started to really take over and and reached a, a level of intensity that I had I had not experienced up to that time and the medications that I was taking were, were no longer effective, even when we would increase the, the dosage. And after about a, um, I would say a year of that and, and not seeing any, any improvement or any relief from it, I talked it over with my psychiatrist and I decided to, to go into the hospital. Now, one thing that I hadn't, hadn't told anybody in my life, other than my, my mother and my wife and, and a couple of close friends, was that I was going into the hospital because I had decided to try electroconvulsive therapy, which was something that I had grown up being terrified of, as I'm sure you were after seeing one flu of the cuckoo's nest. And, and that was pretty much our only experience was Jack Nicholson's experience. But the way they do it now, it's actually very safe very effective. It's actually the gold standard in treating treatment resistant depression. And it's not done in the the same violent manner that they do it in one flu of the cuckoo's nest. So they give you a a general anesthetic and a muscle relaxer. And it's actually, it's no different than, than taking a, a, a very deep nap. And I would wake up in the recovery room and I would, I would go out to lunch right afterwards. So it wasn't, it wasn't a major disruptor that you would have it that they would have you think it was after seeing one flu or, or just the, the myths surrounding it. So, so, and it worked, it worked very quickly. It knocked out my anxiety within a week and then I, or yeah, three treatments, which was one week. And then my depression started to, to lift. Now I, I, for the for the sake of the the continuity of the of the special I sort of combined two hospitalizations with the the electroconvulsive therapy to make it just one hospitalization I actually had it done twice and the second one was the one that was actually much more effective and lifted me out of it and then with this sort of relief and also the energy that comes from recovery that recovery, whether it be from addiction or depression or, or just a health recovery, I had a lot of energy and I wanted to share this story. And that's when I started to work on in my, my comedy, which I had had to put on, on the back burner for a while. I started to talk on stage about my depression and my treatment and, and very openly about my treatment and my hospitalization and something that I thought would turn audiences off and bum them out I actually found people were moved and and were coming up to me at the end of the shows and telling me how much it meant to them and, and how they felt less alone and and also I hate to, to say this because it, it sounds like I'm trying to to promote myself but The more important thing was that the people found it very funny and they found it an an easy way to hear these things sort of with a, with a spoonful of sugar, with the, with the medicine of the knowledge and the, and the suffering that, that is involved in, in depression. And it, and it, it is as funny as the other stuff that I had done, but more importantly, there was meaning to it and there was a purpose to it. And I, I, and I think I was able to connect with my audience in a way that I hadn't even come close to because I had, I had been so vulnerable. And that really speaks to,
1: it seems to me, Gary, uh, a, a kind of uh, common denominator for comedy. It has to be rooted in truth. Uh, it has to be honest. And it also has to find, if not irony, something that uh, elevates the human spirit and allows light to, uh, if not completely uh, eliminate, counterbalance darkness.
0: Yes, Yes, I I think I had never explored that area. I was more of an observational comedian and I I also think that I probably in my earlier years I didn't have the the skill or the confidence maybe to talk about something deeper. So I think the the timing was really helpful and I and I will say that it was also it was also very therapeutic for me to reveal this this, what had been a secret to people. And I, and I urge people now when they're, when they're suffering with anxiety or or depression. And, and, and I mean, now today to open up to somebody is, is such a relief and, and therapeutic. And you will find that a lot of people, not every person will then feel free to tell you that they too have something that they wanted to share with you. I, I found, I, I, was able to make my relationships and friendships deeper by opening up about this because my my friends felt confident that they could open up to me and and that I would be understanding. So I I, I think it's it's just something we need to learn as as humans is is actually a a benefit to our to our survival and, and probably part of our evolution.
1: There's so many directions like I wanna go after what you just said, but I want to give my audience some, some practical things. Uh, you have a kind of list, a kind of checklist you go through and you mention these are anxious times. They are quite clearly anxious times just because normal isn't what it used to be. Abnormal is now normal and we're all adjusting to that. Uh, give my audience, uh, if you'd be so kind, the benefit of the kind of checklist you have for yourself about coping.
0: Well, I I know that when I first started to get better. There were a number of things that I was, that I was doing. And I think all together, they are the reason for my recovery. So I, I would say that the, the thing you can do easiest today right now is, and, and yes, in an ideal world, you could go visit a friend and hug a friend. But I will say that I've had phone conversations in the, in the past week that have been so lovely and i've i've laughed with people and i've gotten serious with people and i've gotten honest with people and told people how i feel and they've told me how they're feeling they've said i'm i'm nervous about this i'm nervous about that and and just getting that out in the open and letting the the, the air hit it Sort of de- deflates it a little bit, and and we comfort each other, and we offer each other things, and and sometimes just a an ear. So that that's the thing you can do right away, and. I know that there have been studies done where, th- where these types of, of conversations increase our, our serotonin and, and dopamine. So it is an actual scientific fact that connections help us. We're social animals. The other thing I would, I would say is to exercise... As, as best you, you can, even if it's only for five minutes. I, I often tell myself, I'm just going to exercise for five minutes. I will put on my exercise gear. I will exercise for five minutes. And, and invariably, I will exercise for longer than that. So just just start something to get your heart rate. If you can only do jumping jacks or jump rope, that's, that's terrific. If you can, if you live in the suburbs and you, and you have some room to go for a long walk, a brisk walk, or, or even jog, I've been jogging for a few miles every day. And, and it's been as helpful as any of the anti-anxiety medications I've taken over the years. It, it really stimulates my, my brain and it really makes me feel better. The, the, other thing i i would say is to and i and i know you're in the news business but but limit your exposure to the to the news because it can it can become it can re- it can really uh upset you and it can make you more nervous so i would say know what you have to know and if there's something Really big. If they have a cure, we'll all find out about it in a few seconds. As people will be will be screaming with joy. So I would I would say that that is very helpful. The the other thing I I know is that you can find certain meditations and breathing exercises online, and they're really helpful. If you don't have access to anti anxiety, I think that those are the next anti anxiety pills or or treatments. Then I think those are the next best. Things I think those are, are really helpful, but I, I think those are the things that I've been doing mainly and I've been doing my best to eat right and not have too much sugar because that affects my mood so uh, there are a number of things and i i i urge everybody though to to reach out to their loved ones and and tell them exactly how they're they're feeling and be honest and and open and I, i i guarantee you the most people will will be understanding and and know where you're coming from and you'll connect in a way that you you don't often do on these these quick phone calls that's the voice of gary goldman our very special guest stay tuned for segment three of the takeout on the other side of this break CBS News. This is The Takeout
1: with Major Garrett. Welcome back. Gary Goldman, comedian extraordinaire, our special guest, also someone who uh, has lived. And I've mentioned on a couple of shows, I have a therapist. uh, I have a stressful life. My therapist is someone who helps me on a weekly basis uh, contextualize uh, my stress and sort of look at maybe some of its underlying youthful roots, things like that. It's not a taboo topic, ladies and gentlemen, at all. And these are stressful times. And one of the reasons I wanted to talk to Gary was not only learn about uh, the genius behind his comedy, but also work through and talk about some of these things that he has lived with, come on the other side of and uh, is on an active basis coping with. So, Gary, it's a great pleasure to continue the conversation. You know, oh, I watch you, uh, your HBO special, uh, The Great Depression, which I highly recommend folks watch uh, if you are uh, allowed to via HBO On Demand. And one thing you say in it, that's, and I don't want to steal this thunder because it's all yours, but you said when I, when I was growing up uh, in the 70s, uh, there were two antidepressants. Snap out of it, and what have you got to be depressed about?
0: <laughs> yeah. It's funny.
1: It's funny. Even when Thank you hear you. it, it's funny. Yeah, <laughs> and, and, and I want to talk about that a little bit because that was certainly part of my experience watching my father's problems. Um, the conversation was uh, blunt and largely indifferent and uh, mocking uh, at that yeah. time. Um, I'm born in 1962, so we're kind of in the same generational area. But that what you talk about in the 70s was no less prevalent in the 60s. If you were suffering for some kind of psychological problem, there was mockery, there was indifference, and there was a sense of bluntness bordering on bitterness about why are you bothering me with this kind of idea? and that doesn't create any space. It doesn't seem, it didn't seem for my family. And I wonder, as you were going through it, starting, I guess, your awareness about 17 forward, if, there, if you felt there was any space to even have this conversation.
0: Well, no, I I, I just remember the the situation was was such that you, you just thought it was a, a character issue with yourself or with the other people. And we didn't have the language. And I I just, it's never a great time to be mentally ill, but there's never been a better time than now to be mentally ill because there is so much being done. There are so many treatments and medications. and, And one thing I forgot to mention, as far as people who are actually diagnosed with depression and anxiety, is during this time, keep in close contact with your therapists there most of them are offering phone and Skype sessions and also if you're taking medication make sure that you are in touch with your psychiatrist so that you can easily get refills the other thing is i i know that there was a time 2 years ago when i had a, a really nice run of recovery and i started to slip after i lost one of my one of my dogs, a dog. I, I mean, we we all love our dogs. We were very close, and I talked to my psychiatrist. Now, years ago, I would have tried to white knuckle it and fight through it. And I talked to him. I said, "I'm feeling these feelings that aren't just normal grief. They're feelings of of guilt and blaming myself, and the, and they feel like depressive thoughts." And he said, I, I think you're right. Why don't we try to increase your medication? And he increased my medication by about twenty percent. And it was dramatic, the effect it, it had on me. I, I bounced back. I still grieved my dog and I miss him every day. But I was I was able to cognitively deal with it on a on a higher level than I would when I was when I was in the midst of a of a depression. So I I, I will say that it's never been a better time to to deal with these these things and when i was growing up i just i wouldn't have even had the vocabulary or the understanding to talk about it and and one of the great things that i'm that i'm so grateful for with the with the great depression is that people have said they show it to family members they show it to friends and they say this is what i'm feeling this is what i'm going through and this this is also funny, but more importantly to me, it's getting across the, the vocabulary and the, the feeling because that's the limitation of the English language is that the, the word we use to talk about how we felt in 1984 after the Tigers defeated the Padres <laughs> is the same is the same language we use to talk about wanting to end our existence. It's, it's just not the, it's not the same. And, and it's, it's limited. And, and one book that I recommend to a lot of people is, is William Styron's darkness visible. He's just a brilliant writer who wrote uh, about a 90 page book about his experience with depression. And I I've maybe, maybe the bell jar was, was close, but this was, this was as close as I've, I've ever gotten to, to reading something that made me know how I felt. And also the, the author Kay Redfield Jamison has written some great books on mental illness and in particular bipolar disorder. She's, she's just a, a brilliant angel of, of mental illness advocacy and, and education.
1: That's, that's phenomenal. And I'm glad you mentioned those books. Uh, one of the things we love about Uh, About our guests as we always ask them And we'll get to this uh, in our last segment Favorite book, most influential book Favorite movies, music, all of those things Are part of the humanistic Part of life that we hold close, and we always find want to try to find out from our guests what things they hold close. So I'm glad you began to go down that road, and we'll get back to that in just a second. Uh, I want to play a sound bite because this is from the Great Depression, the HBO special, because I think it's uh, helpful for people to hear in your own voice the kind of medicative journey you had to be on. Uh, And there's a bit of a joke uh, at the end, a little bit of a payoff, (laughs) but it's it's important to hear it. Uh, Jamie, my friend, that's number three on our list.
0: Over the years, I have tried Pamelor, Nortriptyline, Walbutrin, Zoloft, Paxil, Abilify, Adderall, Ativan, Clonopin, Duloxetine, Mirtazapine, Sertraline, Apexa, Celexa, Zyprexa. At one point, my doctor said, Let's just try drugs that rhyme. <laughs> Thank you, Dr. Seuss.
1: Famous San Diegan Theodore Geisel, ladies and gentlemen, yeah, Doctor Seuss. Okay, every time there's a San Diegan in there, I claim that. Okay, because <laughs> I love my hometown. I'm all about that. So you should. But, it's a beautiful? Uh, city. Th- that that in itself uh, is speaks to the, the the journey, and it's not just one pill or it's one one combination. And even if you find a combination, sometimes it
0: doesn't always last. True. Right. Right. And I, I just I I wanted to get out there that. It's okay to rely on some medicine and also the medicine works. It doesn't change your personality. It gives you a baseline with which you can do the things that are necessary to make a full recovery. And those for me included exercise and getting out with friends and just the the problem with depression is people don't understand unless they've had it is it makes it so difficult to do even the easiest things. So taking a shower would be like this monumental task and, and just going out to walk my dogs would be this thing that I would think, do I, do I have the energy for this today? But I, I will say that, that those small steps, if you can give you credit, give yourself credit for those, I the, the late Carrie Fisher, said in a, in a a book about her mental illness and her recovery that that we need to give people who suffer with it more credit that they are real warriors that i just the the thing that i that I also like about that that joke about all the drugs and and that makes me proud of myself in retrospect is that i i didn't give up I kept trying different things kept trying different treatments and and added things added Medicines, added approaches, whether it be exercise or I do transcendental meditation, I, I try to hit it from from every angle, and that's what it requires. It's a, depression is a is a very is a very strong enemy, and but it is it is defeatable, it is treatable, and if I, I also said if I could get through what I, what I got through, then I then I believe most of us can. It wasn't as as bad as some people, but it was most worse than most and and I I really after two and a half years I've I've never been I've never felt better and also I, I feel like my recovery is sturdier and because I I I know that I have to remain vigilant and, and I hope that people who have recovered and are, were feeling well before the, the COVID nineteen crisis, I, I hope that they'll be vigilant with what it took them to get out of it and, and not let this throw them off their off their course and off their path.
1: That's the voice of Gary Goldman. Stay tuned for segment four on the other side of this break.
0: From CBS News, this is The Takeout
1: with Major Garrett. Welcome back. Our special guest, Gary Goldman, a conversation about humor, about depression and how they mix. Ha ha! No, how they have been a part of the arc of Gary Goldman's very successful life, and I mean that not just professionally as a stand-up comic, but as someone who has essentially gone through this experience, uh, learned a great deal about it, and has not just uh, a story that is on an upward arc, but a deeply reassuring message about the process by working through to that upward arc. Uh, and Gary. want to talk to you about a guest we had on this program not too long ago, uh, retired Admiral William McRaven, uh, SEAL team member, uh, leader of the team that uh, brought about the end of the life of Osama bin Laden. And he was on our program talking about a book that he wrote called Make Your Bed. And that was part of a commencement address he gave at the University of Texas. It's been watched uh, well over a million times on YouTube. And the reason I bring this up is because, as I read a lot about you and watched The Great Depression, your HBO special, um, this idea that the Admiral offers, which is extremely helpful, a simple task done every day can reinforce your sense of not only being, but a sense of accomplishment, make your bed. But that, I learned reading about you, uh, skips over a part, getting out of bed. And yes. I don't mean to make that a punchline at all. It's a very serious part of this process because yes. when depression is there,
0: that in itself is a task. Yes. Yes. And I, I made a deal with myself early on in my recovery. I said, luckily I had dogs. I had to walk them first thing in the morning when they, when they got up. And I said, Gar, get up walk them 15 minutes at least if you still want to go back to bed after you've cleared the cobwebs and and been outside and fed them then you can go back to bed and that was the deal i needed that was the deal the gentle deal that i made with myself and i i never once went back to bed there was never a time when i didn't need when I needed more than 15 minutes to clear my head and, and get some movement going and some inertia, that's the thing that, that depression can, can contribute is inertia. And inertia is, uh, if you're sitting on your couch, if you're lying in your bed, inertia is bad, but if you're moving, inertia is great. So you need to counteract that inertia that, that depression brings, that magnetism of your, your, of your bed. And I, I also think that combined with, with the Admiral's advice, if you get out of bed and immediately make your bed, you, you just brain wise, you don't want to mess it up. You don't want to get back under the, under the covers. And there there's something about a, a made bed that is so satisfying, the sense of accomplishment, and it's so small but I, I think maybe it's part of our evolution that it, it just energizes us to do small tasks like waking up, standing up. There were there was a time when a, a friend of mine gave me this advice to write down five things I was grateful for, and to do twenty jumping jacks right after I got out of bed, and and that was helpful. So maybe th- these things won't work for you. Maybe some of them will, some of them won't, but I, I think combined with sort of a, a regimen and a seriousness that you take to these actions, I I, I think they're really helpful.
1: So I want to play two, uh, sound bites for our audience. I know you'll recognize them, Gary, cause they're your voice, um, oh, good. part of the great depression, uh, and some of the things you learned about yourself and can learn, uh, through others. Um, Jamie, those are clips one and two. First is about ice cream and eating it with a fork, and second is about (laughs) things that you learn from someone who you've now discovered uh, eats ice cream with a fork. That's one and two, Jamie, please.
0: Forkprints in ice cream, oh, if I see fork prints, I know your world. (laughs) Forkprints in ice cream are evidence of a life in chaos. (laughs) Chaos. If I see fork prints in your ice cream, I don't need to see your kitchen. I know the dishes are piled so high, you can't refill the Brita. Not that I should refill the Brita. I haven't changed the filter in four years. I don't need to go into your bathroom. I know that the new roll of toilet paper is resting on the empty spool. It's the only household chore I can do while sitting on the toilet. And I'm like, not today, <laughs> not today. I don't have the strength to squeeze that spindle and lock it in.
1: Very funny. Uh, as Johnny used to say, funny stuff, funny stuff. When he would <laughs> that invite is weird, a successful stand-up comedian over to the couch because if you didn't, you, did, you bombed. And if you did, you did well. <laughs> funny stuff, funny stuff, uh, but also true. And it speaks to what we were talking about, the sense of summoning the simplest uh determination for the simplest tasks to get up and going yes
0: yes so helpful just washing a spoon so that you can <laughs> eat ice cream that's your reward you get ice cream just wash a spoon and and change over the roll of toilet paper it 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 changes your mindset to be around some organization chaos can be overwhelming and depressing
1: and um when you talk in your show, The Great Depression, about um, manliness, uh, you describe wearing a, a man costume in your youth. Let my audience know a little bit about
0: that. Well, I I'm a very big person. I'm I'm currently six foot six and about two hundred fifteen pounds. When I was seventeen, I was six foot six and two hundred fifty five pounds. I was a, a a major recruit in football and. I was I was very athletic, which was a, a a gift. It was it was genetic, but I felt that I was trying to at that time masculinity. It was a very narrow definition. There were there there weren't Paul Rudds, there weren't Mark Ruffalo's. The 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 closest we had was Alan Alda, who was sort of a a, a sensitive guy, but he was also very very strong. And there there was not. It, to be a sensitive boy in the 70s there there wasn't a lot of a lot of role models for that for that so i i found that i just tried to fit in and i i tried to do the the Manly things like playing football, but I I didn't accept the part of myself that was passive and and artistic and and creative, and I I, th- I think that was that was probably a, a major aspect of my recovery was learning to accept who I am and my I wouldn't say limitations, but just my my nature and the things that I enjoy and not trying to force myself into areas to to please people or make myself feel comfortable around people that I want to impress or or make think that I was a, a cooler or, or tougher guy than I I really was. I, I actually have a, a sort of an essence of 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 kindness and sweetness rather than an essence of of being really aggressive and and physically dominant and over overpowering i just i just happen to be in this in this body that would that would make people think that i was i was somebody who would be a formidable foe in a in a in a football game or a, or a, or a fight so it it was it, it took a long time and and i i think it was Definitely part of my recovery to finally not feel guilty or embarrassed or, or sort of anxious about who I, who I am and, and not feel a need to, to disguise that or, or, or change that. That's the voice of Gary
1: Goleman, our very special guest. For our radio audience, this is the end of our conversation with Gary, but we encourage you, I deeply encourage you, to listen to the Takeout Outtake Especial. That's on our podcast platform. We'll get to that next, but for our radio audience, we'll see you next week. Worried about letting someone else pick out the perfect avocado for your perfect impress-them-on-the-third-date guacamole?
0: From CBS News, this is The Takeout
1: with Major Garrett. Welcome to your Takeout Outtake Especial. I'm Major Garrett, continuing our conversation with Gary Goldman, a comedian extraordinaire, also someone who has lived for a very long period of his life with anxiety and depression, sought clinical hospitalization for that, was successful in that pursuit and in that decision, is on the other side of it, what I think he would describe as a brighter and more vigilant side of that, all to the good. I want the show during uh, the time we're all coping collectively with COVID-19 to be a place uh, that is of value, that is immersive, but also is helpful. And I think Gary's voice is among the best we could turn to right now for things that are not only comedic, but also helpful and embracing. Because if there was ever a time where there are Feelings of anxiety and uncertainty, they are now, but there are also times, as we've discussed during the main show, where you can find deeper connections and be more consciously related to those who are close to you and maybe find people who, because of the busyness of life, you've maybe lost uh, a little bit of touch with. And Gary touched on some components of that. Um, If you have anything to add to those uh, overall contours, Gary, jump in.
0: No, I think you you hit everything I would I would mention. I, I I really think that we we can be reluctant to open up to people. It's not easy, but the reward for it is is really high. It's 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 priceless, really, to make a a, a deeper connection and get to that next level with with people, so that it's not surface and it's it's not just small talk, but some some really deep things. And and people are. Major people are thirsty for it that is one thing that I learned from my my tours that people are are thirsty for a deeper connection and to be able to share their flaws and their fears people it, it's I, I really again I keep saying this but I think it's part of our our nature as, as humans in our evolution that when we are feeling safe around people, and we feel open with people, there, there's a chemical response to that. And I, and I really think it, it, it lightens our, our mood, and it, it makes us feel better. And that's so important. And it's an interesting realization that you've
1: gone through in a process that I want to dig a little deeper into, because there is an assumption for those of us on the outside of comedy, um, that you need to be hard, you need to be sarcastic, uh, huh. And you need to have a kind of protective shield because it's a difficult thing to go out and stand in front of strangers and try to make them laugh, even though you know they kind of want to. But if they don't start laughing, you start feeling you're dying. And <laughs> I've watched interviews with comedians who feel that process, that things start slipping away. Their bit it starts running through their fingers, even though they went out confident with that bit. The audience isn't responsive. So there's this sense you have to be either really not belligerent, but protected. you got to yeah. shield yourself. Um, sure and what you've discovered not only with your comedy but with this conversation is vulnerability brings people closer makes them more receptive
0: yes i i think a couple of things that i discovered that i love to share with people is is one the the vulnerability was was the missing piece of the the puzzle of of my comedy career it was the it was the thing that i had held on to the the longest as far as being revealing and opening up and and revealing my flaws i was i was afraid to and i didn't think the audience would come with me and 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 i had been told by numerous people and i and i know that this is just a, a a fact of doing art is is making yourself vulnerable and opening up and it's not it's not easy but when you when you do it it feels good, and it makes others feel good, and and the response is like nothing else I had I had ever experienced. The the other thing, and 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 I think these two things go hand in hand. Is is I, I read this quote early on in my recovery, and I I, I feel like it was it was an, another another key to to my awakening. It was by by the the playwright and author Samuel Beckett who who wrote, and I, and I have it memorized. It's, it's about failure. And and the quote is ever tried, ever failed, no matter. Try again, fail again, fail better. And I think that a lot of the time in my life, and and I can't be alone because I'm never alone in these things. I, I don't take chances and I don't take any risks because I'm afraid of how I'll feel about myself when I fail. And, and what that quote gave me was this permission to fail and also the, gave me a, a sort of a, a lightness about the inevitability of failure. You're going to try and then you're going to fail. But if you keep trying, the next time you'll fail better or you'll, or it'll be a little bit less bad or, and and that was the key to writing what I wrote because I would go on a lot, and you can see it at the beginning of the of the special. I am failing miserably on stage talking about my depression, but by the end of the hour, I've taken those instincts to open up about it and made it into something that was was actually quite funny and and well received. But had I not given myself that permission to failure, and I'll tell you, Major, I don't know if you go through this with your with your work and your writing, but the response of, of people to your work can can really be painful if you don't divorce yourself from from that letting you let me put this in a better way. I was letting the audience dictate my mood every night. So if I had a good show, I would feel good about myself that night and the next morning. If I had a bad show, I would wake up miserable. And that that quote, that allowing myself to fail... Gave me the ability to divorce myself from the audience's reaction. I was always doing my best. I wanted to make them laugh, but I could not give them control over my mood. It was too dangerous, and and ultimately, I, I I think that's what has has made my recovery much more sturdy than the ones I've had in in the past. That I that I'm not I'm not impervious to the people not liking me, but I don't take it as the the final judgment and the the the, the, um, uh, w- what is the thing at the end of a trial? The, um, verdict. Verdict, yes. How do I lose the word verdict? <laughs> Anyhow, it's not the ultimate verdict on my, on my performance or my life or my, or my character or my person.
1: Right. And failing better, um, the entire Major League Baseball Hall of Fame is filled with people who did
0: that. Yes. Yes, baseball is such a great metaphor with life, just the length of the season as well as the fact that you cannot let last games hitting or pitching or fielding have any effect on your next game or you, or you are doomed. So I want to
1: ask you uh, the questions we ask all, all of our guests, because our audience loves the answer for all the reasons this conversation has been so enjoyable, I hope for everyone certainly has been for me. It lets people know a little bit more about you on the inside. So in no particular order, and during the main show, you touched on this a little bit, but um, one of the most or the most influential book in your life, uh, all time favorite movie or one of your favorite movies. And if you're indulging musically, uh,
0: what artist or genre do you find most indulgent? Okay. So I would say that the book and and actually the author, I can read anything by Kurt Vonnegut and it, it makes me a better person. But the book that really spoke to me the most clearly was the was the sirens of of titan so that's that's my favorite book and the most influential book i think on my on my philosophy and my my outlook on on life and and kurt vonnegut as the whole of his work and his even his college commencement speeches really have made me put help me to put together sort of a philosophy and an and an ethos based on sort of kurt vonnegut my my jewish background and also certain aspects of the television show The Simpsons. So I'd say that's that's where my philosophy has has been put together over the years. The, Amazing I, Trinity right there. <laughs> the, the next thing I would say would be for my favorite movie, the movie I have watched over and over again, and it it never ceases to make me laugh and comfort and I think it's so brilliant is is young frankenstein by by mel brooks i I just think it's 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 funny and it's smart and it's original and i i just i i can't get enough of it i'm I'm absolutely obsessed with that with that film and then the the Music that I indulge in, I would say is would be the the hip hop in general and then the beastie boys in in particular I, I just when I, when I first started listening to the Beastie Boys when I was a, a teenager they were they were vulgar, horrific human beings, and they they evolved and became artists and and activists and i I, I think they're they 're really it turned out to be great people and, and also great musicians and, and innovative artists, so I, 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 this has been my favorite part of the interview in one of my favorite interviews of all time, major Garrett I, I, I have really really enjoyed talking with you and, I, and I, I hope we'll be able to to connect under better circumstances the next time and I, I really want to tell you how grateful I am for, for you and for your your producers for including me in this i'm, I'm honored.
1: Well, it's great to have you with us. Uh, And uh, you mentioned our producers, Arden Fari, Jamie Benson, Jake Rosen. Jake, forgive me. I said the other name for another friend of mine whose name is Jake and is a producer. Your name is Jake Rosen. Not that other name I said, so please forgive me for that. And Gary, it's been uh, a delight, an absolute delight. I hope helpful to our audience at a lot of different levels. I urge you folks Because we're at home and because we're working from home and we're trying to adjust to lots of different things, find some comedy, find Gary's. I'm sure he would recommend lots of other comedians. Go find things to make you and your family and your loved ones laugh, share them, spread them around. Humor is a great salve at times like this. It's a great balm. And uh, picking up on uh, young Frankenstein, uh, find a way, if you can, with your loved ones, as they did in the movie, to put on the Ritz. (laughs) With that... I will conclude this Takeout Outtake Especial. Gary, we will be in touch. We will see each other. Yes. I'm delighted we, to have made this connection and uh, more to come.
0: Me too. Thank you so much, Major. Thank you, Jamie. Thank, Thank you. you, Arden. Thank you, Jake Rosen. The Takeout is produced by Arden Fary Jamie Benson, Sarah Cook, Ellie Watson, Zoe Poindexter, and Jake Rosen. CBSN production by Eric Susanan, Grace Seekers, and Daniel Peebles. Follow us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at Takeout Podcast. That's at Takeout Podcast. And for more, go to takeoutpodcast.com. The Takeout is a production of CBS Audio.
1: If you like The Takeout, you can listen early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus in the Wondery app or on Apple Podcasts. Prime members can listen ad-free on Amazon Music. Before you go... I'm Peter Vance Sat from 48 Hours. This is Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings. Listen to Blood is Thicker, the Hargan Family Killings, early and ad-free on the 48 Hours Plus subscription on Apple Podcasts. Hi, this is Jill Schlesinger, CBS News business analyst, certified financial planner, and host of the Money Watch podcast. This is the show where your money is not scary. It is a show that's all about you